Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, Dice's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technologists in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our guest today is Dominique Bastos, who's Senior Vice President at Persistent Systems. She's a cloud expert and formerly worked for Amazon Web Services. She's also a three-time founder. We're going to cover some key issues critical to companies of all sizes, including modernization and digital transformation, migrating to the cloud, and the need for diversity on teams. So let's jump in. Thank you for being here, obviously. Um, And I wanted to, first off, uh, what does Persistent actually do? And once we dig into that, I'd love to get your perspective on cloud, digital transformation, all that good stuff. But for everybody out there who's listening, I just want to kind of give them that that overhead view before before we get into all the good stuff. Awesome. Um, So Persistent Systems, we are actually a digital engineering and enterprise modernization solutions and services provider. Um, We work across industries to build solutions that help enterprises succeed in this digital age. Um, We have expertise in everything from uh, digital strategy and design to enterprise IT, security, cloud, and infrastructure. Um, Actually, cloud is where my role lives. Cool. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, I mean, I talk to a lot of engineers, executives, and so on. and the term that gets bandied about quite a bit is digital transformation. And it people, you know, you go to conferences and people are saying, oh, digital transformation in the enterprise and things like that, and modernization and all the rest of that, that good stuff. And But what does, I mean, at least to you, what does that actually mean? I mean, just what does... Sure. Yeah. So, so if you think about just the life cycle of tech within enterprises, um, from pre-internet to now, there's always been some sort of digital transformation going on, right? As technologies have evolved and have been adapted. Um, so the, you also use the word modernization to ask, you know, and how to, what do you mean by modernization within that whole thing? Um, actually, we consider ourselves a modernization partner, not just a digital engineering firm that kind of develops those technologies to help you along the way of your transformation. We help you modernize um, and get to the heart of what's holding you back from being able to adopt the technologies that are evolving. So digital transformation is really just the evolution of enterprises adapting to the new uh, startup ideas that consumers have so happily embraced, um, which has shifted the way their expectations are of what companies are providing, right? Um, So it's really like a combination of having to disrupt your current state of doing business Mm -hmm. and exponentially kind of take a leap to where consumers are already having their expectations met by companies that are born in the cloud, digitally native um, companies. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it it makes total sense. And it sounds to me almost like kind of an an agile DevOps thing, where it's a combination of you got, you know, your tools and your procedures and your methodologies. And it's all about sort of bringing everything into alignment 
to fundamentally change like internal culture and have that internal culture processes things to reach whatever that end result may be, whether it's a more efficient product or a better service or just moving faster. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you mentioned about just the culture having to shift in and of itself. So so if you think about it, developers, employees, anybody who's working within a company, specifically now talking about IT because we're talking about digital disruption because of technology, um, they're used to their legacy processes, right? They're used to, you know, like I remember when things were, everything was custom built, object-oriented design with, uh, you know, you had to have a relational database and you had, I mean, it was just pretty much there were standards for how you're going to move forward and build before the cloud, right? Before cloud technologies. And people got used to building custom systems because they needed to. So the interfaces between those systems are pretty were pretty much hardwired. Um, so anytime you were going to change something, it was like, do we still have the developer that built that? <laughs> you need to go get him because he's the one that knows everything unless it was perfectly documented, which it never was. So that kind of like pace of development was something people were used to, but also you know, every time something changed, there was this fear within the organization by the people working there that if I give up this thing that I own and know how to do, I'm going to be out of a job. So there's like a cultural mindset that also has to, that has been evolving within enterprises um, where they have to provide training and opportunities to upskill developers, engineers, to keep up with the transformations, right? Because there has to be a sense of you're you're kind of freaking people out saying we're going to go through this transformation and it's happening. And then you still have them responsible for their core systems that are the cash gouts to the business that run on these things. And you have to spend most of your time there, but you're being told you have to spend X percentage of your time for this new initiative so it's like, and then also, I don't know if I have the skills for this new initiative. So that creates kind of like this sense of uneasiness and instability within the organization because it's pretty disruptive. Um, also, you know, sometimes leadership has to change because they need to be aware, you know, five, 10 years out where things are going um, so that somebody doesn't sneak in there, create a business that just completely you know, and I'm not going to be cliche and mention Uber in the taxi business, but like you really have to try to stay ahead of that. Um, and then the change management piece um, that you mentioned would be when you are undergoing a transformation, communications have to happen. Expectations have to be set. It has to be supported from the top down. There are certain components to being able to successfully navigate going from your on-premise legacy system world that you operated on, you know, got maybe for 30, 40, 50, you know, think Fortune 100, they've been doing this forever and succeeding, right? Now you're saying, well, you don't know what's coming as these unicorns have been developing and changing consumer behavior. At one point, I remember everybody created an innovation lab, 
within the company, right? So that was like a thing. I was like, oh, we need to figure this out. Everybody, you know, I kind of, I was part of this thing um, with Peter Diamantis and Salim Ismail. They created this thing um, for exponential organizations. And I remember traveling to Mexico City to meet with um, the CEO owner. It's like a family owned company. It's going to sound funny, but the company is literally called Bimbo, B-I-M-B-O. It's a bread company. Um, they've been around for over 80 something years now. When I went, it was like 75 years. And um, the CEO owner had sent his executive team to Harvard to start getting educated on the direction of digital transformation and what's happening as people were moving to the cloud, right? Um, why? Because clearly they were successful. They are successful. They've been around, you know, for three quarters of a century or more. And however, now with the ability to order food online, to get your groceries online, to have a selection never before seen of options as a consumer, right? It's not enough that you have like a quality product that your customers like, because now customers just count on convenience and they expect the quality, right? So what has to happen with those big enterprises that run on legacy systems is they need to be able to transform their systems to meet the consumer needs and even to develop new products as other companies are developing them. And what does this mean for a company that, you know, produces bread? And I'm just using bread as one yeah, of the yeah. products, right? It's a good example. I mean, everyone relates to it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They have all these manufacturing systems in place. So they have their plants built. They have their uh, processes in place around inventory management, quality control, um, the conveyor systems. You know, if you go to like how their industrial engineer probably set up the plant, it's very functional to the demands that they thought they would have. They never accounted for um, digital twins being invented, right? They never accounted for um, internet on uh, like IoT type devices being able to capture real time data and react to consumer demands. For from a marketing standpoint. They never thought that they could run campaigns on a cell phone to say, if you're by a bakery, bimbo bread's going to be 10% off today. Like nobody ever thought of that concept, right? To be able to execute on those things, you need to have the systems in place to do so. So this is why, regardless of how well they've been doing and how much their customers love the product, Companies need to stay ahead because consumer behavior is absolutely becoming uh, like it's almost I remember when people used to study like one to one marketing. It, it really is like the ultimate one to one marketing right now. I have an expect, maybe not me, but I do have an expectation of with everything that's available to me from a device standpoint and from all these different um uh, companies that can service any whim that I have, why would I not opt for that, right? Eventually over time, brand kind of wanes and the brand strengthens with the customer experience now. 
it's not just a logo anymore. It's not just, you know, we're this big bread company that ruled in Mexico for X number of years. And we dominated the competition because we had the distribution of like the bread trucks. And I could use Coca-Cola as an example too, but actually they're, they're fine. Because yeah. they have actually, they have gone on that journey. Oh, okay. Perfect example. And they were um, my customer um, when I was with AWS, they have really embraced the digital transformation journey. It's part of the message to the public that the CEO had put out. Um, and, and I think that's what companies need to do to stay relevant with the consumer behavior change is embrace, number one, digital transformation has to happen. It has to kind of be like a way of life for a company because we don't know what is going to come up in terms of services and tools that can now transform behavior, right? So you need to be adaptable. You need to have an organization that embraces innovation, right? People have to wrap their heads around the constant need for culture change, not from the fundamental core values of the business, but we need to be able, you said agile, right? So that was like a word to be able to quickly build and get products out the door. Whatever you want to call it, the people who are building these things have to have a culture of innovation, a culture of embracing the newness that's going to get you to transform. Um, yeah, so I think it's 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 kind of like an exciting thing, not to date myself or anything, but like, <laughs> I'm totally dating myself. When I was in engineering school, I, I did industrial engineering and robotics. And when I went to school, there was no Google, right? Um, so, and I had to basically like go to the stacks in the library and study my butt off and do all this, you know, research and find information on my own and get into study groups. And the way kids educate themselves nowadays is nothing like nothing I've ever seen. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Right. Yeah. So much so that during the pandemic, they were able to adapt. Well, there's a whole other like yeah, conversation that we're not even going to go to, yeah. but the, so cloud technology was actually flourishing before the pandemic across the board, right? Like you yeah. could just, whatever they everywhere. I mean, yeah. Then there was a certain, and you could see the spike in cloud deployment um, and usage during the pandemic. And I know this having been at AWS during that time, running a service, the go-to-market strategy globally for a service that would do document processing, digitizing it, right? So we were getting phone calls from, uh, I'm not going to name companies because I don't want to yeah, get in trouble. No, obviously, yeah. Like loan processing or digitizing receipts for the big uh, oil trucks that are going to the gas stations because there was this rule that you can't touch anything. You don't know if you're going to die by touching That's something, right? Yeah, yeah. This, right? So, so there's like, the cloud um, usage spiked. That's objectively speaking a fact. And when that happened, new things started to be developed and ideated on, well, wait a minute, you know, from an education standpoint, 
kids already embrace my daughter. She's at Stanford now doing computer science and she, her worry is um, equity and inclusion in artificial intelligence. That's a great topic. And that's an important topic. I mean, especially at Google, like you said, right now, I mean, that's a, there's a whole firestorm yeah. going on justifiably about all of that. About all of it. Right. But like you would think, so there, so her being a 19 year old student, second year at Stanford, she's not worried about the use of technology. She's not worried about, can she get online and do something? She takes that for granted. Obviously, obviously, right? I don't need to buy a book. I'm going to get it online. And they figure things out. They'll invent something if it's not convenient the way it is. What they worry about now is the bigger picture of how technology is being used and whether it's being used fairly across the world to bring everybody up, right? So... So I think that's where enterprises, like going back to the original question about digital transformation, that's like a word that needs to exist, but not as like an option. It's a must. I mean, even Gartner, I think they said that half, let me get this right, half of spending across like application software, infrastructure software, business process and service and system infrastructure markets is going to have shifted to the cloud by 2025. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems a natural stat. I mean, right? but do companies, do enterprises seem to realize that though? I mean, when you're, I mean, all these huge companies, I mean, are they, is everyone sort of in the same wavelength as you are and they're moving rapidly towards it or is it still like a I lot think, of foot drag? I think so. So like that 50% by 2025 is compared to the 41% increase they saw in 2022. Hmm. So they are. Right? Yeah. So that's like, like it keeps moving. Um, two thirds of application of spending on applications. So I'm trying to remember because I read this like this morning on application software will be via cloud computing. And that is up from the 57.7% in 2022. So this is Gartner, right? This is from Gartner. What does that mean? That means everybody who knows that they want to exist in some way, shape or form within like, I, you know, like I'm thinking three to five years, 10, they have to adopt a plan for a digital transformation journey. It's inevitable. Why? And I'm not going to get technical, but systems talking to each other in different industries, right? If consumers now in the healthcare and life sciences space are used to, and I have my Apple watch somewhere, but like they're used to nth level of interaction with their device to help them with their health issues, to help them with their um, exercise, to help them with their diets, whatever it may be. And they're, I think, again, I'm going to table all the different like questionable issues about reading consumer data and all that other stuff. Right. But, like, we let's all have just, trackers. Yeah. All the trackers. I yeah. actually think, you know what? Give me as much information. I, I want my genomes yeah. tested. You know, I want to know. So if consumers are already having this expectation 
that there's data available that can help them when a healthcare and life sciences company is saying, you know what, we forget clinical trials and all the other basic stuff that we absolutely have to do. How can we evolve products to meet a proactive need within the consumer base of preventative care, right? There's an opportunity there for them to change that, to transform that entire thing. What happens with the people that interact, the providers to the providers, right? So the companies that interact with the hospital, if they don't change, they're going to miss out on opportunities for revenue themselves because the APIs that maybe don't exist, right? Application protocols to have the transfer of information, if they don't exist, they can't do business. So these legacy systems have to change as these change so that the relationship between the businesses can continue. And that's an oversimplification, but this is why I think it's inevitable that companies are going to continue moving to the cloud. And to, to answer your question about do enterprises see the same thing I do, I think so. I think so. I mean, I'm not going to name the the big um, pharma company, huge pharma company, but I was speaking to somebody there, um, an executive vice president, and he was brought in, and I'm not going to name the cloud company, the, the big tech company. Yeah. He was brought in from the big tech company to change, basically go through this digital journey for the pharma company. Because gone are the days of this little innovation lab. Let's incubate this idea and see if it works. And put walls up around it so that like nothing actually ever escapes. Certain it big was, tech companies did that for years, yeah. Oh, totally. And I have stories about that too. Because like I was flown to go to like check out an innovation lab and things like that. No disrespect to that phase of life because you have to kind of go through it to learn that there has to be a better way. And then here I'm going to speak from my experience having been at AWS. Managed services and the way that Amazon develops its technology, they're doing the heavy lifting for those companies. So it becomes a matter of adoption, right? So then what do partners like Persistent do? They enable the adoption of those services. And they help through the strategy and design architecturally of you're here and here's where you need to go, right? So there's assessment. How do you mobilize teams around this? And then how do you actually migrate to the cloud? And once you're in the cloud, how do you adopt all these artificial intelligence, machine learning technologies that will give you insights from the data that you've already captured through your journey? So, yeah. yeah. No, go on. No, sorry. No, so I'm thinking like I think I think CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, whatever CXO you want to insert, because now there's like new C, C yeah. types. I can't you keep see up. People every day, yeah. Yeah, there's like like the 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 people who make the call. They know that it needs to happen. They're behind it. The companies that are all about innovation and 
working backwards from consumer desires are doing this. Not to be blunt, but the companies that aren't Mm -hmm. are absolutely going to be left behind. You see it with larger enterprises. I mean, every time I've gone to Dreamforce and other giant conferences, inevitably you have older brands that are trying to transform and modernize themselves. And sometimes they've pulled it off, but then sometimes years later, it seems like the, um, you know, the stock price is tanking and they clearly were never able to bridge that gap, you know, and evolve and iterate in ways they need to evolve and iterate in order to meet the needs of the market. Um, and it's always kind of a little bit sad to see, especially if you're a shareholder, in which case it's, it's devastating. But it, it seems to me that for all the cloud architects, cloud engineers, everybody who is sort of at the crux of this transition, whether they are, whatever their role is kind of within these companies and so on, it seems that, I guess the question is, and I'm also kind of in this AWS mindset because I was talking to Kevin Kelly the other day, who's the head of AWS education. And he was talking about how cloud engineers, cloud professionals, people who are working in this realm and on these transitions need to have a working understanding of, and this is off the top of my head, but there were five things. It was compute, storage, network, database, and security, which is a lot of things for any tech professional to keep in mind, You know, especially as articulated through tools and frameworks and everything else. Do you think with AWS, all these services coming online, all these companies and so on dedicated to all of these kinds of transitions, that it's getting easier for cloud professionals to kind of do their job and more streamlined? Or do you think that the complexity of all these operations is just so complex that it's just kind of a difficult thing for cloud professionals to handle? I'm just wondering if these jobs are sort of getting easier or if it's going to just get even more complex as time goes on. I think the... I think there was a period initially before people started talking about DevOps and people started talking about centers of excellence and people started talking about uh, security in the cloud. Before, like at the very beginning, I remember like early 2016, you know, doing a migration for large media company and the problems that you're saying were absolutely faced by the teams, but the way AWS, at least when I was there and now it's evolved even more for the better, the way to address that is advisory support, right? So like your company may not have the knowledge of how to adapt to security and privacy concerns in the cloud because you never had to work in the cloud, right? And this is also something that Persistent does. Like, as I mentioned, you know, when you first asked what Persistent does, we have the capabilities to go in as a partner to AWS and have these conversations and structure programs around how do you transform the way you're developing to developing in the cloud, right? Like data security and privacy obviously is so much heavier in certain industries because of compliance reasons and governance reasons. I've seen the change from early 2016 when I was at AWS to now, how services have evolved to you know, there's a standard for, S, uh, you know, for, for security compliance per vertical. They get launched with that compliance. 
before it was like, oh, we released, we launched this service, but we're still, and this was like early days, right? So compliance, um, governance, all these different things are considered as things are being created, right? From an adoption standpoint, there's support, right? There's training. There's, I mean, you name the type of training that somebody has access to free online training to tailored, you know, for a company, they'll give you, you know, 25 seats and a, a, a specific instructor on this subject. So I think there was a period where it was really difficult for developers to make that transformation. But I think also there came a period of excitement around being able to transform and now work in this environment, which is a lot more cool to work in. Like I'm still freaked out at how databases have evolved. I used to be a DBA. I was a disaster. I would bring down like crash entire systems. You know, I had to like put on a jacket, go in the server room, like run config scripts and stuff. Now you freaking drag and drop things. But more than that, now it's self, it's basically a managed service, right? Depending on how much you want to have your hands in it and how much you want it to manage itself, you have options. But that goes back to what I had said earlier about architecting, right? All of these things you mentioned, security and privacy, uh, multi-cloud environments, um, performance challenges, right? Um, Interoperability of services, um, flexibility of a service to adapt to a new feature request or something that's needed, um, the high dependency on the network, yeah. right? I want to say like, these are the things that I saw. This is, this is something like AWS definitely, like, they think ahead. Yeah. They think ahead, right? Then from a partner standpoint, it's great. Like it's all out there. The cloud company can have it all, mm-hmm. but if, I'm the CEO of an enterprise that needs to change and I don't know what I need or how to even begin. This is where a company like Persistent can help, right? Let's talk about where you want to be. Let's work backwards from that and let's map out the plan for that journey you're going to take. And then along the way, there are these buckets of things that have to happen that the developers need to kind of be upskilled you know, teams need to be created to support running in the cloud, a cloud center of excellence. Um, just there's different in, in a, you know, like each thing could be a conversation, but there's different things that can be provided by partners to support these companies. But also, again, speaking from my experience at AWS, having the biggest footprint of cloud in the world easily this is what they think about like how do we make our services adapt to what's going to be happening like they're actually inventing services people didn't even need you know think they needed because what they're trying to do is the customer experience get it down to the most seamless customer experience and what does that mean potentially changing a lot of systems that exist to service a customer for this thing that they needed. Well, we could change all that and it becomes even more seamless, faster. And 
One super quick example would be my experience with, again, loan origination, mortgage origination, claims processing. Those use cases are a nightmare when somebody wants to buy a house. How many times, you know, you know, scan your documents, send them to um, X mortgage company. Now you need to send a picture of your passport. Now you need to send. So all this validation pieces. By the time they're done looking at everything in a manual process, it could be a couple of weeks. The amount of people that you need to employ, the validation pieces, um, the security requirements, right? If I'm sending private information from my bank, that entire process by digitally automating the the uh, processing of the documents, right? Just from that piece alone, never mind doing natural language processing on actually pulling the information you need and never mind assuming that the mortgage company and the companies that are backing it are integrated and working together in a seamless way. You could get validated hypothetically in a matter of minutes. It's also helping close the, the, there's a cloud gap as well, like a cloud skills gap and automation and tools and all the things that AWS and everybody else are cycling up or helping reduce that as well, because companies and providers and so on are scrambling for cloud talent right now. They're scrambling for, despite all the training that's going on and the mainstreaming of cloud in general, it's kind of, it's, it's helping on the back end side too, not just the clients, not just, you know, the, the companies that are doing this thing, but also on the IT side, which is fascinating. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, on that's the, that's where one of the things that I really love about Persistent is it's not like we're going in to just provide some solution and leave. Like we really want to understand how you're going to maintain that environment within the teams that stay behind, right? So that involves working with AWS, working within Persistent and looking at the piece of upskilling the customer that we're serving, right? So all of this goes back to like big picture, what is what is the company trying to achieve in the next five to 10 years? And what are the different things that have to be put in place to get there? And then segmenting that into kind of like milestones where you're starting to see the progress. As you're seeing that progress, people are getting excited. It gives developers also an opportunity to go through those training sessions, right? There's subject matter expertise that can be read online. And there's subject matter expertise where you bring in a subject matter expert on a certain thing, right? We do um, what we call, you know, architecture reviews, right? So like, let's say somebody already ideated, we want to move off this system to here and this is how we think we're going to do it. Well, if you're going to do that in the cloud, there's certain things you have to consider, right? So having the expertise to assess the architecture to actually help build the architecture is ideal because you don't really need your developers to be building a huge transformational architecture. Yeah, it has to be architected, right? And then you need to be able to kind of execute and build against it. But I think you know my my what I love seeing is just how insanely um, fast 
past, things have moved to managed service, right? To integrated already, to APIs are already thought through and built into the service that's being launched. I mean, Nirvana would be integrated, you know, like solutions. I would, I would use, and I'm not going to go down the path of talking about intelligent document processing okay. as a yeah. thing, yeah. but you're bringing well, together really cool. yeah. services, right? To solve a use case. So imagine a world where like use cases have their solution already. Yeah. Which be, I mean, like all the yeah. systems behind already like working together magically. So the speed of work is mean, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the last question that I had, um, do you think, I mean, in, in terms of cloud development teams and so on, do you think things are becoming more diverse as all of these processes become more mainstream and people think about it? Do you think that there's, I mean, I've been talking to so many people who are kind of concerned that the pipeline of talent that's flowing into providers, that's flowing into companies and so on, that it's expanding, but it's not quite expanding fast enough. So you're not getting all these different perspectives that are potentially needed to figure out, you know, oh, we need to create this line of business or this particular segment isn't being served or anything like that. Do you think it's going in the right direction in that sense? I think, I think it is going in the right direction. Again, you know, from my own experience, when I went to engineering school, it was a joke. I mean, I mean, I, I have stories that are like not even, I can't even share because they're just ridiculous. I mean, so, and I was, you know, one of a handful of women graduating from the engineering program. I will tell one quick story because there's no way to guess the professor, but you know, when I showed up to my thermodynamics class, um, the professor literally stopped me at the door, asked to see my syllabus, and then looked at it and said, this class is really, really hard. Um, cheerleading's down the hall. Oh, man. Like, That's horrible. It was ridiculous. That's I, I mean, I registered that, and I'm like, he's going he's gonna to see. So I was like, no, it's actually right. You know? And my personality is bring it. You know, I didn't get scared. I wasn't like, oh, my God. I was like, okay, I'm going to show him. So what I ended up doing was acing every single test with the extra credit. Everybody hated me because I ruined the curve. But then at the end of the semester, he asked me to be his graduate assistant. And I was like, I had to sit down. I was like, listen, you could have broken me. I could have quit engineering with that nonsense. You know, the reason I am going to do that is be your GA is because I want girls to see that they can do it. Like I want to be representative of the people that take thermodynamics. Like I'm a math nerd. I love math. How are you to judge me, you know, and think no. I don't? Yeah, absolutely not. That was very intense back when I was starting my career. I could name, so I could write a book on all the ridiculous stories, my travels to other countries, being a female founder and them thinking like I'm serving the coffee type thing. It's like, crazy stuff. Yeah. Nowadays, I see a lot of, and I have taken it upon myself to, when my daughter was in high school, speak at her, um, what they call like a uh, engineer, pre-engineering program, right? Um, she didn't do that. She didn't do pre-engineering, but I, I thought, let me volunteer my time. So again, they could see a woman in engineering, right? Um, 
different STEM activities and things like that, I've seen a lot of, a lot more women than not who are in tech be interested in telling their stories, in putting their time into mentoring, into helping ensure that there's equal representation. We're not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that I, I personally, from my own experience, and, and I might get a lot of flack for this, but from my experience, I see progress, right? There's still a lot to be done, right? Um, and I think it's important because one thing companies have to understand is if they don't have a diverse workforce and not just women, that was like my one example being a female, but like minorities, you name the representation needed. It brings a perspective that end users expect. Going back to the one-on-one, one-to-one marketing. If I don't see myself in what's being built, why am I going to use it? Why am I going to care about it? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, going further to what my daughter hopefully is going to worry about. If things are being trained or built by people who look a certain way, and not representing the world of people that exist. That's what we're going to put out, right? That's what the services are going to put out. So I think I'm seeing a heavy emphasis on like solutions that are hyper personalized and designed for like a segment of one. Um, And to service that, you have to get down to the micro level and understand the consumer from a very nuanced standpoint. And the only way you could do that is by having a diverse team. It's the only way. Um, so yeah, so that not, the, not the answer like, oh, we're way far away. I think- No, 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 but I mean, that's an honest, good answer and it's perfect for yeah. what the market actually is. And there is slow, pro- I mean, when you look at all the data sets and so on, you see this ex- unfortunately really slow progress at a lot of companies towards diversification across all segments. You know, yeah. and there, there's so much work that, that's left to be done. So I think the, we'd all like to be optimistic about it, but it's not, you know, it's, and there's, there is progress being made, but it's not, yo, you know, everything's been magically changed. And yeah, no, I think, I think what you said is, is, is where it is. And that's it folks. Modernization and digital transformation are obviously huge endeavors with a lot of moving parts. It's a challenge even for the biggest and most well-funded enterprises. So it's great to talk to someone like Dominique who has a substantial grasp on it. We covered a lot in that conversation you just heard, but here are a few key takeaways. First, startups have trained consumers to expect that companies will evolve, react, and adapt quickly. Digital transformation and modernization allow the biggest companies, some of which aren't really all that used to moving at considerable speed, to accelerate their business and leap to meet consumers' expectations. Second, Any company undergoing digital transformation needs to ensure there are solid lines of communication and transparency throughout the organization. Expectations need to be set, and there needs to be top-down support from the highest levels. Otherwise, such a complex effort might grind to a halt. Third, diversity in teams is crucial. Although there's been progress in diversifying engineering and other teams, there's still much to be done. Adding other perspectives to the mix is crucial, because end users expect a product, whether it's a service or an app or anything like that, to reflect their world and needs. So with all that, we'll see you next time. And remember, 
DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career. 